No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So I can I can start. Oh my gosh, that's so loud. Hi guys. <clears throat> well, welcome. I guess. Hey, Alicia, how are you? Good. I guess we're gonna go ahead and get started. I was. I'm. I feel everything shifted at the last moment. I thought it was gonna be like this nice informal little couch setting in the arrows classroom, and now. I get here and I'm in this room and with a microphone and it sucks. Doesn't matter. So anyway, uh, we're just going to make the best of it. It's not like I don't know what to do. Um, I just don't like to. But I was a pastor for, uh, well, I've been in ministry for about 20 years, so I, I'm not afraid of this. I just don't like it anymore. <laughs> I've been out of ministry for eight years. So anyway... First of all, welcome everybody. How's everybody doing? Y'all look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I get a chance to talk to people and inspire people, um, it's an incredible honor. I don't take it lightly. I really don't. Um, so the fact that you guys are all here to listen to me and I don't recognize some of you, I feel super honored. I feel cuddly all of a sudden. I feel like I'm going to cry. Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Daniel Cole Dodd. I used to go by Cole for the first 30 years of my life. And then at 30 years old, I laid my life down. Um, I was a pastor of, a, of a, a church out in Plant City. I had about two, I think we were pushing about 200 people in our church. So it was a pretty big church for Plant City. Um, and I realized that I was not the man that I needed to be. I was not the husband I needed to be. I was not the father that I needed to be. So I um, committed spiritual suicide and I reputational suicide, I should say. I laid my life down. I confessed a ton of dark stuff that I didn't know why I did it. I didn't want to do it. Um, and I felt like I had addictions that I didn't know how to heal. And I, um, I didn't want to live in fear anymore that Fear of losing my reputation, losing my friends, losing my job, losing my family. I didn't want that to keep me in shackles. So I threw everything in the fire. And um, what I thought was going to happen was I thought that my church was going to rally around me and support me and love me and say, you can do this. And that my wife was going to leave me and take my kids away. But what I got was the opposite. My church immediately rejected me immediately. They asked for my resignation almost immediately. And so I was without a job, without a career. Um, I have a degree in theology and with a minor of apologetics and a minor in pastoral counseling. What am I going to do with it now, you know? And uh, my wife, <clears throat> it's a whole long story. I don't want to go into the whole thing because I need like two hours to tell you the whole story of the last eight years. But my wife heard the voice of the Lord tell her, stay. And she was like, is that my voice or is that you, God? And she heard this, and we were Baptists. This never happened before. 
And she heard this voice say, my sheep know my voice. And so she decided to stay with me. And she cornered me in the bedroom after that little encounter. And she said, look, I hate you right now for what you did. And I, I might forgive you one day. I hope I can forgive you one day, but I don't forgive you right now. But I'm going to work towards it. And I'm going to stay with you. And you're going to deal with me asking you, how could you do this to us? How could you be this person? How could you hurt us this way? You're going to deal with it. You're going to be a big boy, and you're going to put up with it. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And so that's what I did. And it was really interesting. I, I, the whole thing happened, that the, the whole confession and throwing my life on an altar thing happened because I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time. I had actually hated myself so much for my past and what I had done in my 20s that I was actually planning my own suicide because I was more fearful of facing it than I was um, just wanting to check out. You know, I've, I thought my main thing was I didn't want to mess up my kids by what I had done to, to ruin my family. And so I, I, I had this rationale that I would rather be dead than be a deadbeat dad. And I would rather let my legacy continue without me than me mess it up for everybody and just throw a really bad wrench in the whole ripple. But um, one night I was sitting on the back porch with my wife, and uh, as a Baptist pastor, this crazy thing happened. I heard the voice of God. (laughs) And uh, I knew it was the voice of God because it sounded just like my dad. And I have a really good dad. I didn't get to see him much growing up, but he's a really good dad. And uh, he's got this booming voice He's only like five foot seven, but he's got this booming voice, and it's like so strong, but yet so gentle at the same time. Like, hey, son. I'm like, oh, that's my dad, you know? And so this, this voice comes to me, and it, and it sounds just like that, so strong yet so gentle. And I'm, I'm, I had been dealing with these thoughts of suicide, planning my suicide. I'm going to kill myself because of what I've done. Um, I'd be better off. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice say, tell her that it was more it was probably more gentle than that hang on my smoker's voice it was like tell her and uh and I was like I can't do that if I tell her she's gonna leave me she's gonna take my kids she's I'm gonna lose my friends I'm gonna lose my family I'm gonna lose my job my career I'm gonna lose everything I can't tell her and then he said this he said do you trust me I'm like yeah I trust you of course I trust you you're God I have to trust you then tell her. And so then I'm like, okay, look, I'm terrified, right? I am terrified of this. I know, I I get what you're saying. It's the right thing to do. I need to tell her. I get it. I should tell her. I've been, trust me, I've been thinking about this for weeks, but I'm terrified. Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Come on. And I said, finally, I said, look, if you want me to tell her, I'll make a deal with you. I know what you're saying is absolutely right. I know it's true. If you want me to tell her, I'll be a big boy and I'll tell her, but you gotta, you got to set me up so I know that you're with me. Have her ask me, like, what's on your mind? You know, set me up with a question or something like, what are you thinking about? Because I don't, I don't know how to cross this threshold. It's like, hey, by the way, I've got some bad news. It's going to ruin your life. <laughs> so I need to be set up into this. And he's like, I said, if you do that, I promise you, I will be a big boy, I'll put my big boy pants on, and I will tell her. And as soon as I said that, there was like this static going on. My wife's telling me some story of something that happened at work. I have no idea what she was saying. And it's like this shh, the old school TV static. And as soon as I said, I'll be a big boy, and I'll tell her, it was like shh, 
And she goes, why do you look so deep in thought? And then I heard this one last snarky comment from God. And he said, there you go, big boy. <laughs> and so I, I was a moment of put up or shut up. And I, I told her everything. I laid it all down. And I said this thing. It was a really, really rough night. She tried to kill me with a shovel. That's not an exaggeration. I had to talk her out of killing me with a shovel. Um, like, how do you have to talk somebody out of it? Like, it's a bad idea. Don't kill your husband with a shovel. I don't care what he did. <laughs> You're going to go to jail. I'm going to die. You know, it's just not good. Anyway, so it was a really, really rough night. But I, at one point, I got down on my knees, and she had sunken into this chair, and just I destroyed her with my confession. I destroyed her. And she was sunken in this chair, and I got down on my knees, and I said, look, I am so sorry for what I did. I don't know why I did it. I don't want to do it. I never wanted to do it. I don't know how I got here. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life dedicated to finding the answers to those questions. And I, I have given you every reason to leave me. And I have no right to ask you to stay with me. But I will ask you just one time, please stay with me. Help me through this because I don't know who I am. And then I said the most prophetic thing that I, I had ever said up until that point in my life. I didn't even know we could do this kind of stuff. I said, if you stay with me, I promise you, we will look back at this moment as the worst thing we ever went through, but the best thing we ever did. And eight years later, we've gone through crazy healing we, went to, we moved to Redding, California. We were in Redding for four years, three and a half years, four years. I got to be a part of Bethel Church. I got to travel the world with Bethel. She um, was on track to do that as well, but then she, um, COVID happened, and then we found out she had a brain tumor. Um, it's a long story. See, I didn't want to go into the whole story, and now I'm going into it. Anyway, I just know this, that I have gone through blood, sweat, and tears, literal blood, sweat, and tears to get the revelation that I've got, uh, just a little portion I want to share with you tonight, okay? And my hope, my true love hope, my love for you and my hope for the church is that I can somehow be a part of inspiring other people and empowering other people so that the pain of my process can empower you it's a lot of P sounds. My, the pain of my process can empower you to get revelation without pain. Don't you wish you could just get revelation downloads? I mean, we all, like, like if only Jesus was a vending machine and we didn't have to go through these, count it all joy, brother, when you fall into diverse temptations. Like, this is my hope. This is, I mean, this is my little loophole is that I've gone through hell in the last eight years. Well, I won't say the last eight years. I went through hell for about five years. For five years, I put myself willingly through hell to find out who I was, to find out my identity, and to restore my marriage. And my wife went through that hell too, because we're one flesh. And my destruction was her destruction. But we rose out of those ashes to help other people now. And my, my hope is that our pain can bring you revelation. Revelation without lacerations. Amen. It's like a title for a book. Um, so a little couple of side notes. I'm going to use this because I'm a very visual um, instructor, teacher, inspirational leader. <laughs> that sounded so cheesy. <laughs> um, but I'm going to give you a little bit of foundation of what we're going to talk about before we start talking about it. But before we do that, let's pray. And I'm going to spit my gum out. 
Hang on, I need to find out. Is this the closest trash can? Okay, let's do something a little bit less churchy. <clears throat> everybody, everybody grab the hand of the person sitting next to you. If you're not close enough, scoot over. Reach. Xander, reach. There you go, my boy. Okay, now let's just, let's just, let's just let guards down for a minute. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Do you feel loved by that person holding your hand? Isn't it such an amazing thing that this is what gets to set the church apart from the country club? The fact that we can love each other and value each other. We love each other for who we are, not for what we do, not for what we believe. I just want you to intentionally pour love through the don't don't think too much into this. Okay, pour love in the spirit to your neighbor right there, like an impartation. Just pour, just send channels of love to that person. Just say, hey, I intentionally love you. I intentionally love you. Isn't that good? How awesome is that? Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring an awareness that you are already here. We know that you're with us, but we just say, heighten our awareness. Turn our awareness of you to 11. <laughs> we know that you're here, you're with us, you're in us, united as one. And we just want to be in a place where we adore you. We don't just talk about you. We get to adore you. We get to experience you. We get to hang out with you. We get to hug you. Uh, thank you, Lord. Just shake off all the religion. Shake off all the things the church has taught you. And just embrace him. Amen. Well, you don't have to let go of hands if you don't want to, but you should. Or it'll get weird. <laughs> I don't like giving disclaimers, but I'm going to give one tiny disclaimer because it might be detrimental to my health. Um, I, I'm, an, I'm an insurance adjuster, so I spend a lot of time up on roofs, and I was up in, on roofs today, and I got a little overheated, so I'm feeling kind of dizzy. I was telling Gigi before, I feel kind of dizzy, so if I pass out, it's probably not the Lord. It's probably heat exhaustion or something, so I don't want you to throw a blanket over me or anything. Like I want you to probably call 911, okay? <laughs> I have to, it's, this is those meetings, you have to mention it, you know. All right, so let's get a little background. Again, I'm going to be telling you some of the things that I have learned through blood, sweat, and tears so that you can get revelation without laceration. I just love that. I should have named this whole thing that. Okay, so before we get into this, the, the, I don't really like titles, but Gigi forced me to come up with a title for this. She didn't force me, but she asked for it. So I was like, I don't know what to call it, spiritual awareness of our identity. So it's called spiritual awareness of our identity, but it's really so much more than that. I want to talk about, um, about being seated in a spiritual identity, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but we have to lay a foundation of understanding the difference between the spirit, the soul, and the body. It's going to be a very teaching moment. 
Um, and you may already know this stuff, but it's a good refresher. And then at the end, if we have time, we go till 8.30? Okay, if we have time, I want to transition and, and talk about not only how do we see ourselves in the Spirit and develop a, a spiritual awareness of our identity, but how to minister to others in the Spirit. And I have a lot of really cool stories from my world travels. Uh, I haven't done too many world travels, but every time I go outside the country, crazy things happened. So I've got a collection of a couple stories, and I'd like to share at least one of those to show you in action how these things work. So that's if we have time. If not, I'll just tell you afterwards, and we'll go in the parking lot and hang out. So before we start, let's lay a foundation first, right? We're building a, a construction of a new thought. We're building a new thought that we want to... Um, build off of, right? So in 1 Thessalonians 5, <clears throat> Paul says in verse 23, I pray that you're, you be made whole in your spirit, soul, and body. First thing we have to understand is that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God, yes? The image and likeness of God. God is a, a triune being, yes? Hey, bud. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three beings, one person, God. Well, you are created in the image and likeness of God, and you are a triune being as well. You are a spirit, you are a soul, and you are a body. And I want to break down these things to give an understanding because we are kind of confused on what the body is. Is the body the body or is the body the flesh? Good question. Hmm. We're really confused on what spirit and soul is. What's the difference? Because a lot of times we say soul winning, going to save souls. We saved our soul, blah, blah, blah. That's actually referring to the spirit when you're saying soul. And a lot of times we say, I feel in my spirit. And that's a feeling you don't really get in the spirit. You get an awareness in the spirit, but you don't really get a feeling in your spirit. The feeling is in the soul. So I want to break these down, and we're going to talk about the Greek words a little bit um, and try to give a, a better understanding of this. Um, there's something else I was going to say before I got into that. Oh, <clears throat> no, I said that. I said spirit and soul. Okay, so let's start with body. I'm going to give you some definitions. If you guys are taking notes... These are just going to be some definitions to help you remember. I don't know why I started on the right-hand side, because I want to do most of my writing that way. Okay, all right, hang on. This is cutting into our time, guys. Get with the program. All right. No, thank you. It's like a time mulligan. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give you some definitions. The, let's talk about the Greek words to kind of give us an understanding. Because here's the thing that I'm really big on is when you read the Bible for Bible interpretation, there are, there are tools that you need to bring to the table, right? You can't just read it in one verse, take it out of context, and apply it to anything you want because you're going to develop a whole new theology. There's three things that I like to always teach on and, and help other people in what I always practice. And then they all start with the letter C because I, I can't help it, but I alliterate everything. <clears throat> in the Baptist church at my ordination, somebody laid hands on me who was really good at alliteration. I think he imparted the gift of alliteration to me. I don't know if that's like, I know it's not in the Bible, but it feels true. Anyway, 
So they all start with, with, with C. The first one is we have to consider the context. What was the author saying to the people? You might remember all this. What was the author saying to the people he said it to when he said it, where they were at when he said it? All of that. That's context, all right? The second thing is we have to know consistency. Is what I'm reading in this portion of Scripture consistent with the character of God I find in other portions of Scripture? For instance, you can look at 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy, I think, where it talks about a woman not exercising authority over man. But does that match the heart of Jesus when he goes to the woman at the well, when he instructs and gives gifts to the apostles and disciples? A lot of who the prophetesses, a lot of people who were in office that were women, deaconesses. So we look at the whole picture. Is this consistent with the rest of the heart of God we find in Scripture? And then the third thing is the configuration. And this is the one that a lot of people miss. You have to remember that the Bible that we have has three original languages. It's Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And those have been translated. A lot of times the Greek has been translated from Aramaic and then it's into English and then revised and revised and revised. And a lot of times we have certain words that are in there that at the time of its revision, we tried to find a, a closest word to match according to our culture. I'll give you an example of how this works today. And a lot of times people just hold those words and they just say, nope, that's the way, that was the inspired word of God. We need to be careful with that. I'll give you an idea how this works from language to language, okay? This is all going to make sense in a minute. My wife speaks fluent Spanish, fluent English, and fluent French. She was born in El Salvador, raised in El Salvador. Her mom's American, and she went to an all-French school. So she has trilingual capabilities, but she thinks in Spanish because that's the country she grew up in. When she's, like, really asleep and I wake her up, she, like, starts talking to me in Spanish. It's really funny. But there's this word that I used to use. I still use it because it's, it's a fancy word. What the heck was that? Okay. And there's this word, preoccupied. You guys know what preoccupied means, right? It means to be distracted. And in the English language, it means to be distracted. But in, in, with my wife, the Spanish equivalent of preoccupied is preocupado. And preocupado means to be worried. At least in El Salvador Spanish, it means to be worried. So my wife would, would ask me questions sometimes, and this is how I figured this out. She would say, why are, are you so quiet? What are you thinking about? I'm like, ah, just preoccupied with work. Why? What's wrong? Is everything okay? Yeah, I'm just, just preoccupied. I'm just distracted. I know, I know. What's going on? Is everything all right? I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> And she's like, no, you said you're preoccupied. In her mind, she's translating, no, preoccupied means worried. So this, these kind of things happen too. And so we have to remember this when we look at some of these words. So sorry for that huge uh, preface. Um, the word for body here that Paul uses is soma. A lot of our medical terms we get from the Greek language. And uh, one of the medical terms we get from this word is somatic. You ever heard psychosomatic? Um, soma, somatic means pertaining to the body outside of the mind, okay? The body is, the best definition that I can come up with is our material, oh gosh, I'm too tall for this, material experience of life. This is our, oh, not lift. This is our, our brain, our ears, our eyes, our nose, our taste, 
um, our lungs, our heart, our, our blood pumping through, what we, the sand we feel between our toes, this is body, okay? Not to be confused with flesh. And I'm going to talk about flesh in just a minute, so we're going to put that guy way over here to be continued. Flesh is not the same thing. It's actually a totally different word. And you'll understand what I'm saying when I get to soul a little bit. So the body is soma. That's the material experience of life. That's what you are perceiving right now. Okay? Soul is different. It's the Greek word suke. It's spelled like psych. What does that look like? Psycho, psychology. First thing you think of is psycho. <laughs> psychology. We get the word psychology from this because at its inception, psychology was an understanding of the soul. Now it's become an understanding of the mind or a doctrine of the mind or a science of the mind. Because the word suke actually means three things. It means, well, I'm not going to write it. It means mind, emotions, and will. It's very different from your brain that's in your, in your soma, in your body, it's the suke has the mind. You can't make decisions in your brain. You think you can. You make decisions in your mind. Because the mind is then the soul that harnesses the, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your brain is on autopilot. It's keeping your heart pumping, but that's not a decision you're making. You understand what I'm saying? Your decisions that you make are in, in the soul. So I like to just remember the soul as how I think, I can't write at this angle. Can you guys read this? You want to help me? Is your handwriting better than mine? I don't want to find out, actually. How I think. <laughs> how I feel. I appreciate your willingness, though. And how I decide. So, soul, suke, how I think, how I feel, how I decide. The spirit... Um, it, the Greek word for that is pneuma. It's where we get the word pneumonia. Oh, side note, pneumonis. Side note, you remember that word I gave you, psychosomatic? Does anybody know what psychosomatic means? Psychosomatic is when your brain, or your, your mind convinces you that something's wrong with your body that's not wrong. So it's like you hear, you hear on TV that so-and-so has, has cancer, and your mind convinces your body that it has cancer. You don't have cancer, but you have all the side effects of, that you're seeing in your friend of cancer. That's psychosomatic. Psychosomatic. My mind convinced my body of something. Isn't that interesting? So, <clears throat> spirit is pneuma. That word actually also can translate as wind. Um, and there's a couple different verses. I don't know. I don't... Uh, think, how do I want to tell you this? Do I want to just give you the definition first? Yes, I do. So the best way, to, I think, to understand it, when we look at a, a broad scope of the New Testament reference of the word pneuma and spirit and Holy Spirit, the best thing, I think, with all the stories we have and all the references by Jesus and Paul and Peter is this. It is your eternal existence and connection in Jesus. Highlight in Jesus. You're not connected to the universe. You're not connected to a life force. You have an eternal existence and connection 
in Jesus. Let me give you a couple of verses to think about. John chapter 3. When when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, what does he say? You must be born of water and born of the spirit. Spirit. Somebody whispered it, so yeah, you're good. good. If I had a Twizzler, I'd throw it at you. Um, We must be born of water and born of the spirit. Here's another verse to think about. When you are born in the spirit, you are brought into something in Romans 8, actually, I want to read this one because it's so fun. I'll read this one to you. Romans 8, 9, if you want to write this one down. I love Romans 8. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's not the one I was looking for, but that's a good one. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. I think it's in 1 Corinthians, not 12, maybe 2 Corinthians 12. Somebody look up this, this scripture that, that says, um, if the Holy Spirit is within you, he is united with you as one. I, I can't remember if it's First or Second Corinthians. But there's, there's a scripture that says, first of all, let's talk about Colossians 2. Colossians 2 says that all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And then the next verse says, all of the fullness of Jesus actually dwells in you. The verse that I'm thinking of when they're going to find it, somebody's going to find it, it's that if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the whole, his spirit is united with your spirit as one spirit. What is it? 1 Corinthians 6, I was way off. Samsonite. (laughs) Uh, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I don't think that's the one I'm thinking of, but the same thing. Same thing. I don't know. I don't know. Calm down, you Bible junkies. That one will work. Um, So that one was 1 Corinthians 6, what? 6.17. That if, if his spirit is in yours, you're united as one. Yeah, so think about that for a second. It's not Holy Spirit rests in us. We always learned in church, the Holy, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Did you guys learn that growing up? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's scriptural. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But let's take it a little bit further. If his spirit is within us, the temple is this. If his spirit is within us, it is united with our spirit as one spirit, Do you know what that means? That means that you have the access to the mind of Christ. If his spirit is united with your spirit within you, you have access to his thoughts. You have access to his mind. Am I losing you? Too scary? Oh, we're going to get extra scary now. I'm going to scare you. Here's another great verse in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read this one, too, because I want to break something down in it. Ephesians 2, let's just read, start with verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, the sons of disobedience, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. 
like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what, what I just read? You were dead in the desires of your flesh. And I'm going to tell you what flesh actually means in just a second. And through Christ, you were raised up to sit with him in heavenly places. Okay? Do you know that Jesus is currently seated outside of time? Why should he be bound by his own creation? And he created time, right? He's sitting outside of time. He sees Joan of Arc. He sees dinosaurs. He sees flying cars. And then he sees you. Your spirit is actually seated, seated with him outside of time. How cool is it that we have access to the mind of Christ through the spirit and can see hope for the future and can see prophetically visions and hear prophetically from the Father through our relationship with him because we are actually outside of time too. Is this too crazy? Don't live stream this. Good stuff, huh? So the word flesh is the Greek word sarks, and I want to look at this for just a second. It's where we get the word sarcophagus. I like giving you etymology. Do you guys like etymology? I'm a little bit of a nerd. I don't look like it, but I am a little bit of a nerd. Sarks has a very broad definition. Okay. A lot of times it's used to refer to meat in the Greek. Um, a lot of times it's used to refer to the, the fleshy part of our, of our body. Not the body soma, but the fleshy part of our body. But it also has this, it carries this weight in that configuration that we're talking about, that context that we're talking about. It carries this weight that it's talking about a desire. And it's talking about the mind. And if we combine the entire context of Scripture and, and extra-biblical works where they use the word sarks, the definition for flesh that we can come up with is the best one that I think. This is just me. The best one I think is the appetite of my mind. The way it works together is the appetite of my mind. So when Paul says the works of the flesh are the appetite of your mind, I just spilt water on myself. <laughs> Got too excited. <laughs> Yay, Jesus. <clears throat> so this is really important to understand. Appetite of my mind. And Jesus, or not, not Jesus, Paul said, we have actually been delivered from the appetite of our mind. Here, let me read it. Because it says mind right after that. I don't want to confuse you. Um, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to read the King, New King James Version. What's so funny? Huh? The legal version? I don't get it. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to read this from the New King James, because I like the way that it writes it. It says, you've been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We read all that. Uh, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
So the lusts after the desires of our mind, the appetite of our mind, are you following this? Fulfilling the desires, this is where it could get confusing, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is another way of saying we were stuck fulfilling, chasing, pursuing the desires and appetite of our mind, and we were also stuck in our thoughts. Because when it says mind, it's referring to our thought patterns. Because the soul, I don't want to get ahead of myself, the soul and the flesh are like cousins. My mind is in the seat of my soul, and Sark's flesh is the appetite of my soul. And this is where we're going to transition a little bit because now that, is this good for a foundation? You guys got this? Okay. So the soul is a really big problem in, in the church life in the 20 sec, 21st century. I almost said 22nd century. <laughs> Prophetic. In the 21st century, the, the soul is a really big problem. We don't talk enough about this, but most of the church operates with a ceiling right here. We extend our life experience to the point of what feels true, even though it may not be true. I had, a, I had my little cousin. He's like my little brother. He was born blind in one eye. And nobody knew he was born blind in one eye. And he didn't even know he was blind in one eye. And when we were about seven years old, we were shooting BB guns. And he, he was left-handed, but he held the gun in his right hand. And I said, Corey, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, I got to look out my good eye. And I was like, what do you mean your good eye? He's like, well, you know how everybody has one bad eye and has a one good eye. I said, nobody, no. And so I told his mom and I said, hey, listen, Corey, Corey thinks everyone has one bad eye, one good eye. You might want to get him to a doctor and find out what's going on. Sure enough, she took him to an ophthalmologist. He was indeed blind in his right eye or left eye, one of those. Here's the thing. He perceived the world that his situation was not unique. He thought everybody experienced life the same way. It felt true to him, but it wasn't true. I'll tell you a cool story. Because we, in, in my love for people, this has been the, the culmination of what me and my wife do. We, my wife and I walk people into the wounds and the lenses that people have adopted on their soul to break them free from these things and get them living in this level of authenticity from the Spirit and ministering to other people from the Spirit. But let me break this down of how this actually works, okay? Let me give you a cool story to illustrate it. It might be a long story. Oh, my God, i got to hurry up. <clears throat> So I was a, when I was a pastor, I would, I would take one day a week to prepare my sermon, and uh, it was usually a Thursday. I went up to the church, and it was really loud, so I'm like, I'm going to go get, get into a quiet place. I'll go to the old sanctuary, and it was like an old church building, and we had like five stained glass windows on each side of the building. And when I walked in, the sunlight that was in the sun rising in the east was pouring through these stained glass windows, and it was just gorgeous. It was like a kaleidoscope on the, on the pews, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is magnificent. This is going to give me some inspiration for show. Like, this is Holy Spirit ordained. 
And so I was like, I'm not turning the lights on. And I, I got my Bible. It wasn't this one. I have a little pocket Bible that, this is important to know, I have a pocket Bible that I've taken all over the world with me. It's my, it's my travel Bible. And this was the Bible that I grabbed for some reason, but I've taken it, I've had it in the deserts of Jordan. I've had it at the border of Syria. I've had it in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal. I've had it in Haiti. And actually in Haiti, I, we got stuck. We took our truck up to a mountain to talk to a voodoo priest about Jesus. We're going to go evangelize the voodoo priest. We go all the way up there, and he kicked us out. So then we drove all the way back. And when we started driving back, um, I mean, a hurricane hit us. Like, we were all joking that he put a hex on us because it just, out of nowhere, birds were chirping on the way up. And when we came back, it was like, <laughs> and our truck got stuck in the mud. And I got out of the truck, and I had this, I had not this one, I had my pocket Bible in my, my back pocket. I got drenched, and I got covered in mud. I slipped like four times trying to get that truck out. It took me like three days to air out the Bible, so it was really worn and really beat up. So I told you that for a reason, because when I sat down to read my Bible, I sat underneath that beautiful light, I opened my Bible, and I opened it to the Gospels, and I looked, and there were words missing from my Bible, like completely wiped off the page. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've ruined my favorite travel Bible. Like, I've ruined it. I got it soaked in Haiti and all my butt sweat on it, just wiped all the words off. And then I did this. I saw that where I was holding the Bible, I saw that I could see impressions of the words. And so I went like this to check my vision. And when I did this, I moved the Bible out of red light and into blue light. And the words popped back up on the page. Here's what happened. Most of our English translations have the words of Jesus in red. And the red light that was coming through, the sunlight that was coming through the red filter, to use a millennial term, filter, the red light that was coming through made it look like Jesus' words were not there. So it looked like chunks of words were missing from my Bible. I could see an imprint, but the ink looked like it was gone. And it was too early for me to realize, oh, I'm holding it in red light. When I pulled it out of the red light, I could see it. And I had this thought, depending on what lens I look at scripture through can determine whether or not I have a complete gospel. And I thought it was really interesting that the lens was the church. How many of us have grown up hearing things in church about God, about theology, about Jesus, about Holy Spirit? And we believed it because we were told that was true. Because we had a lens a rose-colored lens or a cracked lens that we looked at it through and said, no, no, that's not what that means. That's not what that means, right? And the church put it there. Not to, not to bash the church. We, we don't know what we're doing. We really don't. Like, we as human beings trying to be, trying to find value, we mess a lot of things up, and that's why we have a lot of these mistakes. But this is not just in church. You all have lenses that you look at life through, that you look at yourself through. We all develop lenses through our environments, our experiences, and our education. We are told growing up that the world works a certain way. We, we develop a lens that says everybody's blind in one eye, right? Doesn't mean it's true. So the call for all Christians and all believers as we try to get to this part of walking by the Spirit and being in the Spirit, the, the first step we got to do is we got to start reevaluating the lenses that we've adapted and start questioning what is truth and what just feels like truth. Right? Here's the thing. My soul is how I think, how I feel, 
and how I decide things. If I have a traumatic event in my childhood that tells me I'm a failure or that nobody wants me around or I'm a loser or whatever, we'll say failure, right? Something happens in my childhood that tells me I'm a failure. I'm going to think like a failure. I'm going to feel like a failure and I'm going to make decisions like a failure. And I will hold myself back from my destiny because I'm, I'm too afraid of failing. Failure is inevitable for me. I'm going to give you a story. When I was in Reading, a guy reached out to me. He sent me a message. I had, I had just spoken to the class, and he sent me a message after I spoke. He said, hey, will you get coffee with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we met, and he was, he was like busted up. And this guy had gone to Jordan with me in the Middle East, and um, this was after the trip, and he's just busted up. Like, he had been crying all day, and I'm like, dude, what's going on with you? And he said, I think my wife's going to leave me. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? We're like, we're Bethel students. Like, this doesn't happen. Like, what are you talking about? You've got plenty of people at your fingertips to avoid that from happening. You guys are both students. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I, I don't know. And I said, have you, guys, have you guys been fighting? He's like, no. Okay. Did you do something bad? Well, no. Like, dude, you got another girl? No. Like, what are you talking about? Your wife's going to leave you. Does she got another guy? No. I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? And he's like, I just have this feeling, and it won't leave me alone, that my marriage is going to fail. They had been married for like two years. And I said, okay. And I could sense what was going on. I said, I want you to close your eyes. Okay, because I, I can't help you. I can guide you. I can't help you. So close your eyes. And I, he closed his eyes. And I said, I said, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, when did I believe the lie that nothing works out for me? This was a, a word that came to me. It was, it was not something that I discerned in the, in the horizontal discerning. I, 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 we'll get to that part in a minute. But I discerned that you don't feel that every, anything works out for you ever. I said, I want you to ask Holy Spirit, when did I believe the lie that nothing ever works out for me? And so I said, I've got my coffee here. You take as long as you want. I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm, I don't care. And so about five or six minutes goes by and he starts crying. He's like, I'm a mistake. I was like, well, that sounds like another lie. What are you talking about? Unpack that for me. He said, when I was nine years old, growing up, I had an older sister. She was three years older than me. Um, and she was always successful. Her name was Emily. His name was Ryan. She said, he said, Emily was always much more successful than me. She was a volleyball captain at the high, when we were in high school. She was valedictorian when, when she graduated. I mean, she always had good grades, always had good friends. She was always the life of the party. My parents were always bragging about her, always talking about all the good things that she had done. And I wasn't any of those things. Like, I didn't have good grades. I didn't have a ton of friends. I had one friend, and he was kind of weird. I wasn't athletic. And Emily was always the focus of everything. And he said, I never really asked a question, but it was always bothering me. Why, why is everybody talking about Emily so much? And what about me? And he said, one night when I was nine years old, I realized that my parents had a dinner party and they were all talking about how they, had, how they all had their first child. Emily was my parents' first child. And, and he said that they were, his mom was des- describing how they had tried for two years to have a, a kid, and, and they just could not get pregnant, could not get pregnant. And she went through the story of how they finally figured out that they were pregnant, and how her husband wanted a girl, and she thought that was so weird that he wanted a girl. You thought all guys would want a boy, but he wanted a girl, and we found out she was a girl, and my husband screamed at the top of his lungs in the hospital, and he just, she just goes on this whole long story, and talking about how Emily came into the world. 
And everybody was like, oh, that's such a sweet story. And he, Ryan's in the other room, and he can overhear this. And then she says, well, Ryan was a, a surprise. And everybody laughed because it was like this big crescendo of a huge story about how Emily came into the world. And then Ryan was a surprise. <laughs> and that communicated to him that he wasn't even supposed to be here. Everybody had planned for Emily. Everybody doted on Emily. Everybody was so proud of Emily. Nobody was ever proud of Ryan because he wasn't even supposed to be here. This lie that got planted in his soul grew up into weeds that when he looked at life, all he could see was, I'm not even supposed to be here. Nothing's going to work out for me. I'm a failure. And I said, okay. I said, close your eyes. And I want you to ball the, all those lies up and, and to a greasy ball and just give it to Jesus. And I said, now we're going to do this thing where we ask him to talk to you again. And I said, I'm going to drink my coffee, and I want you to ask this question. I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, what is the truth? And he sat there for like maybe 30 seconds, and he started crying. And he cried, and he cried. And I'm looking around, and everybody's looking at us because he's crying, and he's sobbing. I didn't want them to think that I like broke up with him or something. <laughs> and he finally composes himself, and I said, what's going on, bro? And he said... I said, what did you hear? And he said, the Lord said, I, before you were born, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know how many hairs are on your head. Um, and he gives the passage of Psalm 8, that the, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers, how you hung the moon and the stars. He starts quoting all this, who am I that you are thinking of me? And that was an inspiration for something else, I'll tell you in a minute, if I have time. So he starts quoting all these scriptures that the Lord was telling him about how valuable he was to him. And something in that moment, I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't like shabalaba ding dong on him. I didn't do any of that. He just, he, something melted off of him. And he was forever different after that. We, we closed out that meeting. He walked away completely different. What was, the, what was actually going on? I'll give you the mechanics of what was actually going on. Is He had lenses over his soul that lies were told to him that he believed, that he thought through that lens, he felt through that lens, and he decided things through that lens. And he thought the world was out to get him because he wasn't even supposed to be there. It wasn't true, but it felt true. So many of us, we live right here, and we bump our heads trying to get up here. Because we are stuck to addictions for value. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that we have value. And we're trying to get it, but we're looking at our life through these lenses that says, I'm not good enough, or I'm never going to amount to anything, or I'm going to end up like my mother, or I'm going to end up like my father, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up cheating on my, my husband like my, my dad or my mom did, or whatever. Like, I'm following genetics or anything like that. Just, we believe these lies, and we have lost the art and the science as believers of how to take that captive and tear down the stronghold by being aware that we are right here. See, Jesus... I'm running out of room. Jesus is... No, oh, hey. Jesus is up here on his throne. I'm going to make this look like a throne somehow. Uh, that's Jesus. With his arms down on the throne, and he's got a crown. There you go. There's Jesus on the throne. Okay? We are right here, typically. Help. Right? But what we don't realize 
is it feels like we're right here. We are actually right there because we are in Jesus and he is in us and we are seated in heavenly places. See, the Bible talks about three heavens. We have the first heaven, which is our sky. It's our sea, our birds, our air, our universe, all that stuff. And then we have a second heaven where it says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities of the cosmos. That's right here. That portion of Ephesians 2 is what it's talking about, where the enemy is influencing through the lusts of our flesh and our mind. The enemy works to capture us in the mind, and he puts those lies on us. But we are actually in the third heaven, right here with Jesus. And you have access to the mind of Christ. You just have to bring yourself into the awareness of that fact. This is why Paul would say things like, I urge you to walk by the Spirit. He was reminding them, you are not here. This is where the enemy will control you if you let him. You're actually up here. Be aware. Walk by the Spirit. That doesn't mean go outside your house and wait for the Holy Spirit to tell you which way to go. Walking by the Spirit means I get into an awareness that I am seated with Christ and I have access to the mind of Christ. Paul also says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't do everything to look like what everybody else is doing, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. Suke. How cool is that? So when my mind is thinking this, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm never going to amount to anything, I'm never going to be good enough, nobody likes me, blah, 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 I'm rejected, blah, 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 I'm not trustworthy, blah, 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 I'm, I'm addicted to something. I take it captive, and I say, that's not true, because I am here, and I have access to the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit, tell me what the truth is. And I will adapt myself to that. He also says another thing that's really crazy. He says, repent. Do you guys know what the Greek translation of repent is? I don't remember. I think it's metanoia. That might be the right one. It actually translates to, no yawning. It actually translates to change the way you think. Repent doesn't, we always teach repent means, I was going this way, brother, and I was headed down a dark road of sin, and repenting is just turning around and going the other way. I mean, y'all heard that. That's the, that's the old Baptist in me, man. Like, repent means to turn or burn. No, repent actually means change the way you think. Like, let's read, let's read Ephesians Two, one more time, okay? With everything that I just told you, let's read Ephesians 2 one more time, okay? I want you to think about where Ephesians is in the Bible. Pass that information to me. All right, here we go. <clears throat> oh, I remember I wanted to read it out of New King James. Y'all done forgot. And you, may, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you were dead, now you're alive in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, where to go, I erased it, uh, which is the appetite of my mind and my thoughts, 
fulfilling the desires of the appetite of my mind and of my thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places. You are not here. You are not here. This feels like I'm here. How do I have hope for the future? How do I know I'm going to get out of this mess? How do I know that I shouldn't be scared? Because you have to realize that you're not here. You have authority over this. This works for you. The, the, the enemy, I don't have to remind you of this, the enemy's been defeated. So guess what? You don't have to stay in his house. You don't have to stay in his country. He's been defeated. He thinks he owns this, and he's convinced you he owns this. You're actually up here, and you get to tell him what's true, what's accurate. This will help us in our identity. I do have time, because it's only 8 o'clock. I have time to share some stories with you of how, how do we do this with other people. I shared with you how I helped Ryan. All I did was just guide him to talk to Holy Spirit. But how do we do this when we minister to other people, <clears throat> especially with like healing and prophecy and stuff like that, which are things that we want, right? Something weird that's going on in the church the past, I don't know, 30 years, it feels like we've developed a very formulaic approach to healing. If you don't know what I mean by formulaic, I mean like A plus B equals C. You have this sickness, we must do this thing to get this outcome. You ever see that? Like, oh, you've got hooks in you. So we've got to, it almost feels like we're saying, we've got to sacrifice three chickens so that you can get delivered. But it's like, you have hooks, you have to do this prophetic act. And you might have to, but it's not like it's every single time. We develop these formulas, like healing can only happen this way. Like it only happens when we speak in tongues, or it only happens when I speak to the pain, or it only happens when I speak to the body. And it's just... We've got to break away from this because Jesus never gave us a formula for healing. You ever notice that Jesus didn't heal people differently or he didn't heal people the same way? He was the model for how we are to walk in life. He never went to the same person and did the same thing twice. He, for some people, he spoke to them, be healed. They were healed. For some people, he said, do a prophetic act. Stick your hand inside your cloak and pull it out and it'll be healed. So he did that. Some people, he touched them. For some people, they touched him. I felt power, leave my cloak, Right? For one guy, he spit in the mud and wiped it on their eyes. Thank God we don't follow that formula. We'd be giving all the deaf people wet willies. It doesn't make sense to follow the formula, right? But Jesus gave us a model, and he said, I know you've heard this before, but he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. What does that mean? It means I need spiritual eyes to see what the Father is doing. I need spiritual ears to hear what the Father is saying. See, if healing was a formula, I don't need God. If healing is a formula, I'm working for God. And when my dad asked me to come to work in his business, he didn't say work for me. He said, come work with me. If I bypass the relational aspect 
of ministry, then I am just trying to work for my own identity, for his approval. But I'm already approved. He doesn't want me to work for him. He wants to work with me. This is why he designed it. This is why he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to clothe you in power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Why did he say wait for the Holy Spirit? They had everything they needed to know. They had it. Why do you need to wait for the Holy Spirit? Because he's going to clothe you in power. I'm going to send you out into the world, but I'm coming too. We're going to do this together. Ah, just gets me fired up. So good. What was I saying? Story. Um, so Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. When we minister, we've got to cut out this formula thing. Um, I was in Jordan. I was in the country of Jordan in the Middle East, and I was in the capital of Amman with a Bethel team. And they came to me and they said, Daniel, uh, my, my team leader, our team leader came to me and said, Daniel, will you take a team? We're going to split up into three teams. Will you take a team and lead a team into this one church in the capital. It's a church of all women, and they're all Filipino. I didn't ask any questions. We're in Jordan, and it's a church of all Filipino women. I'm not going to ask questions, but yes, I'll do it. I didn't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. <clears throat> and so we, I, I got my team together. It was about six of us. I said, all right, let's, let's just spend an hour and just ask Holy Spirit, what does he want to do? Like, what do you want to do? Do you want us to do music? Do you want us to pray for people? Do you want us to, to do words of knowledge? Do, I mean, what do, you, what do you want us to do? And so we all broke away for an hour. We spent time with the Lord. We came back feeling refreshed. And we all agreed that Holy Spirit wanted to do words of knowledge. And so we're like, all right, we're good. And I said, but I have a caveat. I have one, one thing to add to this. I don't want us to be, okay, side note. I don't like telling people that I lived in Reading and I went to Bethel and stuff like that because a lot of places that I go, there's like this hype with Bethel. Like, not in a bad way, in a good way. Like, everybody's really enamored. It's not as much anymore. But everybody's really enamored with, with Bethel. And when I go to the, the foreign countries, especially internationally, they're just like, oh my gosh, you're from Bethel. I went, I went to Pennsylvania. This is a tangent. I went to Pennsylvania. I was on Bill's team for the Voice of the Apostles. And so I got to hang out with Bill and Randy Clark and have lunch with them and stuff. And we were praying for people. The minute we walked in, we had all the, the conference goers. You ever, you ever encounter conference goers? Like, I love them. I'm not judging them. But they're the same people at every conference. Like, we had, we had a healing conference in Reading. And then we had the Voice of the Apostles. And I saw all the people that I saw at the healing conference in Reading at the Voice of the Apostles in Pennsylvania. And this one guy comes up to me and he's like, ah, you prayed for me. I remembered you. And I was like, I don't know who you are. But yeah, how you doing, buddy? And he's like, what's going on? I know I didn't pray for this guy. I know I did not. But he was convinced that I prayed for him and he got out of a wheelchair. But I'm like, listen, I love you. I, I, I don't think that was me. And he's like, no, it was you. It was you. I was like... Okay. Are you sure? I didn't have long hair back then, so it wasn't Jesus. It was somebody. But anyway, uh, I don't, I said all that to say, I told them we are not going to be the Bethel students that come in, blow the place up like we do, and then leave. I've seen this happen too many times, and it feels like celebrity Christian. It feels like we are the hype. We're the ones that carry this. We're going to show them they carry the same Holy Spirit we do. So we're not going to, we're going to get words of knowledge. 
I don't want any of you laying hands on anybody. Don't any of you touch anybody. You ask them to lay hands on each other because the Holy Spirit is in them too. And maybe even more, never mind. <clears throat> and so they're like, oh, that's a fantastic idea, Daniel, yes. And so we go, we drive out to this place. We almost died driving there. We get to this place, this church, and they, put it, they pull us up front, and it's, they're like, oh, my gosh, they're from Bethel, you know, all this stuff. And I go first, and I said, we were, we were asking for words on the way over, and I saw a picture in my head. I saw a vision, spiritual eyes. I saw a, a femur, like an x-ray of a femur. And I didn't know what it means. You never know what it means, but go in faith. And so I said, um, <clears throat> we're going to do words of knowledge. And uh, for starters, uh, the Lord sometimes shows me vision. Sometimes he says things to me. And he showed me a vision. And I just, I'm offering this out in love. But he showed me a picture of a femur bone. And that's the hip bone because there was like a language barrier. I said, that's the hip bone. So does anybody here have pain in their hip or a broken hip or a dislocated hip? Anything like that that you want to get healed from, would you stand up if you can and like four or five people stood up, all women, they all stood up. And I said, okay, great. I said, all the people around these ladies, lay a hand, lay a hand, lay a hand. And you're going to pray. We're not going to pray. You're going to pray. And I'm going to say go, and you start praying, and you just pray for whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But in love, you pray for this sister that she would get healed. All right, go. And so they prayed. And about two minutes goes by, which feels kind of long. One by one, this girl right here starts screaming in Arabic. And like, like I, it may have been tongues. I don't know. I, I don't speak the languages. But she screams. She's celebrating. Everybody around is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody picked up a tambourine. A party's breaking out over here. And then this lady over here, she starts shouting. And then this lady over here starts shouting. All five of them got healed right then and there. And so I passed it on to the, the, the next student. It was this young girl from Singapore. Her name was Trisha. She's amazing. I miss her. I love her so much. She goes, and she has a word of knowledge that's not a vision. Now, I remember, it's I only do what I see the Father doing. I saw a vision of a femur. She says, I heard the Lord say, I'm healing hands. So if you have arthritis, broken fingers, whatever, if you want healing, stand up. And like 15 women stand up because they just saw what happened. They're like, oh, yeah, it's happening today. So they all stand up, and they all do the same thing. Everybody lays hands on them. We don't touch them, and all 15 of them get healed. One lady had a finger that was sideways, and it popped straight. It was crazy, incredible. Jesus was, like, moving, and we're like, oh, we feel so honored to be in the presence of this. Then this third student goes, and I'm going to be very careful how I talk about this because I don't want it to sound like I'm judging or dishonoring. I love this girl very much, but she was very much here trapped in lies and trying to, through performance, find approval. Trying to prove to the world that she knew what she was doing so that somebody would say, well done. I'm so proud of you. Because she had not figured out how to break through that ceiling into the spirit to know who she is as a daughter, right? So I I say this in compassion and love for her. I hope you hear my heart on this. And she gets up. Now remember, I said, I saw a picture of a femur. Trisha said, I heard him say, I'm healing hands. This third girl gets up and she goes, stand if you have back pain, like commanding authority of the room. And so like 20 women stand up with back pain. And there was like, there was like maybe 300 women in this building and like maybe 20 of them stand up with back pain. And she says, okay, everybody lay hands. I'm going to command that the back pain leaves. And she starts praying over everybody and everybody's just like, 
holding hands, waiting. It gets a little awkward, and she says, okay, now you go. You pray. And she kind of, like, walks back here. And she's, you, you know when you can, like, notice that somebody's getting into the mood of something? Like, they're, putting, they're getting into the role. She was getting into this role of I am the, the mighty evangelist. Um, again, it sounds like I'm judging. I'm not judging. I'm telling you what I could see was going on, that she was striving for approval, striving through performance to, for somebody to tell me I'm good enough. I matter. I have value. And so she's doing this, and we're standing there, and I'm, I'm watching, and nothing is happening. Nothing. People are praying. People are getting louder. The people that are standing to get prayed for are just standing there. They're just, there's no emotion. There's like everything deflated out of the room. It just left the room. And so one by one, people just started sitting down. They were very authentic about it, like, okay, didn't get my healings, not today, but praise Jesus, I'm going to sit down. So they'd sit down one by one, and I, I just kind of walked back. Now, I'm, the pastor was looking to me to tell, for me to tell him what to do, and I walked to the back of the room, and I'm watching all this happen, and everybody sits down except for one girl, and she was right back there. One lady was standing back there. She wasn't actually Filipino. I found out later she was, like, from Zimbabwe or, or Namibia one of the southern African countries. She's a beautiful, beautiful black woman. And I, I, as I was standing up on the stage, or no, I was in the back of the room, and I was watching what's going on. She stayed standing, and people are still laying their hands on her all around her, and I'm watching what's going on. The girl that was praying sees that she's left standing, and she walks down and gets right in front of her, and she starts praying, and she does exactly what I told her not to do. She reaches out, and she puts a hand on her shoulder, And she says, I command in the name of Jesus that the back would be restored. Back, be restored right now in the name of Jesus. She goes, check it out. And so the translator tells her to check it. She bends over. She leans up. She says, no, it still hurts. She puts her hand back on her. She says, I command you pain to leave the body right now. I command you pain. You have no authority here. The blood of Jesus has conquered you. You leave the body. I don't remember what she said, but I realized what was going on. The first time she was speaking to the back, I command you back to be restored in the name of Jesus. That didn't work. Switch my tactic. I'm going to speak to the pain. Pain, you are here illegally. You need to get out of the back right now. That didn't work. Third time, she said, or she tells her to, to test it. She bends over, stands up. No, it still hurts. She puts a hand back on her. She starts speaking in tongues. I'm not going to do exactly what she did, obviously. Test it out. She bends over, stands up, still hurts. She gets louder. You could see the desperation. When she started the, when she switched from back to pain, when she switched her tactics there, that's when I was standing in the back of the room and I pressed into the Lord and I said, okay, this is about to get really weird. What are you doing? What are you saying, Father? And immediately, while she's speaking in tongues, Immediately, I got this vision of her as a little, like, five, six-year-old girl, and she had a beautiful purple dress on. She had these gorgeous white shoes, and she was dancing with what I can imagine Jesus's hat from here down would look like. I didn't see from here up. It was like Charlie Brown, you know? All I saw was from here down. And he's twirling her around, and she's got this beautiful smile on her face from ear to ear, and she's spinning around and all this stuff. And then he reaches over, he grabs a tiara, and it's got like rubies and sapphires and emeralds on it, and he places it on her head. Now, this is a vision that I'm having. This is in my, what it feels like is in your imagination, right? I'm seeing all this, and I know that 
I, in faith, need to go up and tell her what I see. I don't know what it means. I, I see you as a little five-year-old girl dancing with Jesus in a purple dress and a tiara on your head and white shoes. Don't know what that means, but maybe it means something to you. I just know faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to go talk to you because I love you. What? The Zimbabwe. Yeah, not, not the student. That's another story for like a year later. But this, this Zimbabwe girl, I, I can't remember her name. It was a very, very unique name. But it was beautiful too. But anyway, so the Zimbabwe girl, I saw her. She's the one I saw dancing. And so <clears throat> I don't know what it means, but I'm going to go tell her. So I go up and I said, I said to the student, I said, do you mind if I press in for a second? And she goes, her eyes were this big. She goes, please. Like that. So I take the microphone, and I said, well, I asked the girl what was her name, and she told me her name, and I don't remember what her name was. And I said, I want to tell you a vision that I had while I was standing in the back of the room. And I, I told her the vision of her dancing in the purple dress with a tiara and the white shoes and all this stuff. And then something different happened. Like, I, I, I don't know what this means. It probably means something to her. And I don't know the mechanics of all this. I don't really care. Um, I just love Jesus. But in 1 Corinthians 12, when it lists the gifts of the Spirit, it says words of knowledge, and then it says this thing, words of wisdom. You ever read that? I don't really know what that is, but I think I know what it is, because on four occasions in my life, I have opened my mouth, and words have started coming out that I didn't think of. I just start speaking, and as I'm speaking, I'm like, this is amazing. It's so revelational. And this is one of those moments where it happened to me. So I tell her the whole thing about her dancing and twirling and the purple dress and the tiara with jewels and the white shoes. And then I just start speaking. And I can't remember everything I said, but it was something along the lines of, you think, whenever I told her about that, I said, you think that you're not good enough to find a man and find a husband and all your friends around you have husbands by now. And you're, she was like, you're like in your mid-30s and you haven't had a husband and you feel shame and guilt about that. And you think it's something wrong with you. But he says, you are my precious daughter that I dress in royal purple linen and I put a crown of jewels on your head. And it is my delight and my joy to dance with you because I love you so much. Who are you to think that I don't think you're to die for or something like that or glorious or something? You, you think you're not valuable, but I'm the one who puts jewels on your head or something like that. In the middle of me saying this, it was so powerful. It was much more powerful in the moment because I didn't say it. But in the middle of me saying all this, she screams at the top of her lungs, just, Wah! and she buckles over like this and then falls into the chairs. And I looked up at the group that was laying hands on her, and they looked up at me. And I looked at the student, and she looked at me, and I was okay. And I walked off. And I went to the pastor, and I said, you can wrap this up. I went back after they, they did some more worship. I went back to the, stu- to the, to the girl, that, the, Z- the girl from Zimbabwe, and I picked her up. She, had, she was smiling. She was crying. And I said, tell me something. Is your back still hurting? Because that looked like a pretty nasty fall. I want to make sure you're okay. Is your back still hurting? She says, yes, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone feel free, feel free. It was the most beautiful thing. I don't know the mechanics of it. I don't care. I don't know how it happened that way. I don't care. All I know is he wants to do ministry with us. He doesn't want us to follow a formula. He doesn't want us to get discouraged when it doesn't happen. He wants to work with us. And sometimes it doesn't work. It's not, the point is I'm not here to make it work. I'm here to love. If we could get the understanding when we're up here, that our point of being in existence is to love well, everything else will start falling in line. 
our ministry, our, our, our reputation, everything, like everything we think we're fighting for in this realm will start making sense up here. You guys good? Was that too much? Okay. Ten minutes to spare. I think, I, I think we're good. Eleven minutes to spare. I'm not even going to pray. I'll turn it over to you if you want to do anything. Yeah, if you guys want to ask questions. I don't know if I'll try if I have an answer. Do I have to hold a microphone? I know what we can do. I just felt like the Lord showed me this. Let's all stand.